Tandem Cannon, the Game Review Podcast where co-plans canon, and where it's not the age, it's the mileage. This is episode 55, Respect Your Elders, where we'll cover characters that are already on an AARP plan. This is Tiffany. And this is Mia. Let's go straight into the talk from Team Tandem. So, Mia, what have you been up to for game or homework? Really? I've only had time to play Overwatch. That anniversary, though. The anniversary, though. It's It's been really cool because I've been able to level up a little bit. I've, I've been playing the shit out of Brigida. And it, I don't know. It's it's kind of strange because now everybody's fighting over playing support characters. And I just Pretty think it's really it. funny. And, yeah, we, we had several situations where it's like no one wants to play a tank. Everyone wants to play DPS, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, guys, come on, we we gotta spread this shit out. And I'm terrible at tanking, so it was just like, okay. But I did make a couple of new friends, and that was a lot of fun. And we got some good game time in, and cracked a bunch of of kneecaps, so it's all good. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Tiff? Been about the same. Also played Overwatch and got to level up and stuff like that. And I had seen like for the Overwatch, they opened everything, so a lot of things you if you didn't get like at Christmas or during Retribution or Halloween. They got that open to where you can get some goodies from there. I saved a fucking lot in order for me to get the skins that I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a whole bunch of. But, you know, the ones, the crucial ones I really wanted. I had saved up my my monies to get that. So it was all good. Especially since I'm getting the same shit all the time anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Like, I remember on one loot box, I got two of the same items in the same loot box. I'm like, this Seriously? is bullshit. Yes. Mm-mm. I'm like, it's not like I don't have more stuff to unlock. <laughs> so I had that. Destiny 2, I've been playing a little bit more. I'm trying to get, like, I guess, like, different things and trying, like, the new raid, the Spiral of Stars. Um, and it's kind of like the same thing as Argos was, the second raid. It's, it's more striking, not necessarily like Leviathan raid. Different aspect of that, like a whole bunch of ball passing. So we're up there just throwing balls at each other because great. <laughs> it's like a diabolical game of, of hot potato. But yeah, so far my clan has gotten to the end where you're trying to defeat the enemy at the end but have not really passed that. I've also played Hogwarts Mystery and I finally got through year two. And I do have like a little bit of warning and I'm not sure if this matters for the aspect of the gameplay but like who you choose to go with you may or may not matter and that's all i'm going to say oh hell yeah it's turned into a bioware game because uh, like i have not played probably in a good two weeks i think i'm just kind of like eh, yeah the gameplay it's not very engaging stimulating yeah yeah and so it's like why am i doing this this is a waste of my time especially when you're spending all of your energy points on meal tasks and stuff it's like why yeah does it require energy Energy for me to pick up a book why does right. it require energy for this like i don't know i just wish there was more of like an exploration right g aspect to it rather than okay let's go to lessons let's spend four energy points looking right. at your teacher right so i just i don't know i'm kind of like over it and that's understandable because this is not really like an engaging game at all it's more like just something you do in passing not really something you play hardcore to begin with mm-hmm. and it's like it seems like they're doing that also just to abide time to do things because it's like a lot of times like in the aspect of it like a lot of it you could have already been done with already by this rate i should have already been like on year four you have to do like either repetitive tasks or you have to do like repeat a couple of classes and you have to quote unquote take a test at the end 
because you have to get like an amount of stars to unlock set skill set in order for you to take the quote unquote test as I call it in order for you to acquire like another thing of skills or potions or whatever to pass that so it's like in that aspect it probably took me about like three weeks in order for me to even complete this year but it's like you know what I'm I'm, I'm in it to win it so I'm like I'm just curious about the story aspect of it and if it'll ever get better and plus I want to go to Hogsmeade that's what I'm here for so yeah i'm here for the for the hogs me just to see because i'm like i'm already here so it's an idle time for me to do at work so i can just set it aside and just go on about my business so nothing too too hardcore so yeah but speaking of hardcore what about that overcooked though Woo! okay so we played overcooked for the first time uh comic palooza weekend uh because we had a day where we're just like let's chill out and just play games mm-hmm. and oh my gosh this game is so fun but it it's is so difficult. it is it is especially if you are of the mind of wanting to unlock three stars a, a lot of the things by the time we were passing through it's like you know what two stars is fine yeah because <laughs> i think at that point we had been playing for a while so we were getting tired we're like yeah you know what we'll just come back to it but i mean we did a good job i felt like we had good synergy like once mm-hmm. we figured out kind of the game mechanics and stuff but it requires you to communicate with each other and it be really like, does you can't do everything you have to be able to either delegate tasks or be like okay i'll do this mm-hmm. and then whatever you want to do and coordinate because you have levels that stuff will move around yeah there'll be earthquakes i think or blackouts the pizzeria place that had like blackouts and i think ghosts yeah yeah the the haunted house or whatever yeah and so each level provides a different circumstance that you have to deal with like on one level i think one of the favorite ones we had was the ones where it's kind of like one of those sushi restaurants where everything's on a a turnstile Mm -hmm. and the ingredients and the actual ovens and stuff are on one side with one person and then the other person has like the chopping boards and the actual place to serve serve it and stuff like that and Mm. so having to time those things is like okay let's get these as fast as possible so get the meat or whatever get it to her she would have to tenderize it and get it back to me and then it was like a lot of back and forth and stuff so I think we did great all things considered I mean oh yeah definitely but I want to see like how that is like at full tilt with four people and see how that is I'm pretty sure like the scoring system changes Mm -hmm. difficulty changes too yes but at the same time it's like if you have four people like you make things a little bit more quicker and work like it was almost impossible for me to even be it with one person even get to like i think to level four mm-hmm. on the first world so like with two people it definitely made the difference so i'm not sure if that's just a stipulation of yes you practically need all people on board to do that so and, and they have to communicate like you need people that you're gonna trust because it mm-hmm. can escalate into wild real quickly and if you're not careful like you might go off on somebody but yeah you know me and tiffany we have good synergy like we're like okay i'll do xyz since i'm over here here and do that and like i'll come over here oh that pot is now over there because you especially if you're on the pirate ship the things always shift and so she's like okay well i'm not finished cooking that can you chop that yeah sure i'll come over here so you have to communicate a lot with that game but it's really fun Mm -hmm. we definitely recommend it pick it up all right so in other news um we found out women of WonderCon will be taking place march 9th of 2019 so we already have those dates and we are going to be part of the planning committee thing or whatever volunteering so we're excited and it's gonna be fun we had a great time this year so yay mm-hmm. e3 um by the time this episode releases e3 will be done so we'll talk a little bit more in detail about the fallout from e3 and what sort of things that we liked and didn't 
like on our next episode. But I guess for now, if you have any predictions or anything like that, or you're interested in discussing those, we recommend going and checking out our friends over at This Week in Our Collective Heads or Twiatch. They are amazing and they've been doing short E3 takes and predictions pretty much the last couple of days. So go check them out. They're usually on the mark and everything and they have some good analysis. So yeah. Is there anything on your wish list for this year that you're wanting to see kind of at E3? Girl, what has not been on my wish list? But it's like my wish list has already had been established for this year. I've not really looked into the future of other games I was wanting. Like I know there's already been talks about Horizon Zero Dawn 2. I'm like, shit, have yet to play the first one. I have it, but I haven't played the first one yet. So like a lot of it is just games that I would love to play. But a lot of it is just like, well, I need to play these leading up to it. But have already gotten little tidbits about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I believe it's going to be called. I know like there's been like other stuff about Red Dead Redemption 2 I've seen. Also the Fallout 76 and like that really got people in their Overwatch fields because it's like, oh, Soldier 76. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there's been chatter about that. But I guess before you go into your list, what have you been thinking about all the precursors before E3 actually happens? The, the pre-E3 hype. I don't like it because I feel like it sets up unnecessary hype already before we get to the thing. It's like, let's do a preview for the preview for E3. I'm like, no, can y'all just let E3 come out? Mm-hmm. Let's fangirl and boy about that and get in our feelings and then start the hype train. But I just, I don't know. I feel like it sets up for a lot of disappointment, especially if we get to E3 and you don't get the game that you're interested in or you don't hear the right. announcement that you want or right. that game that they've been hyping up for months and months. It's and already been talked about. Is a dud. And then you're just like, I wasted my fucking time. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Talking about this. So I guess in a way it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like they do it on purpose to start creating the hype early on and create that anticipation. And it's like, oh, pre-order bonuses. But it's like, what is the point of right. pre-ordering anymore? Because initially pre-orders was about scarcity and dealing with that. But now it's more, let's get your money up front. Let's get your Pretty investment much. up front. And so. And that's the thing like too, is that eventually a lot of the pre-order stuff, people eventually get in the fucking game anyway. Exactly. So it does doesn't necessarily matter at this point and i also wish that when you have the precursors that like to talk about these things like two or three weeks in advance ahead of e3 kind of leaves them with nothing else to talk about and and it seems like e3 is just their platform to talk about the oh by the way games the other games that we happen to also have coming out but it's not as cool as this one that's coming down the pike here i like things to be less is more especially in this time of age where there's been constant disappointment in games that have been released that we've been especially looking forward to and I was disappointed by. I would rather have that gradual reveal about stuff and I'm not even trying like saying this because I'm also kind of like on the pessimistic side on this one as much as I do enjoy the game. The same thing with Bungie and Destiny 2. Mm-hmm. How they've already revealed this big thing about things that are about to change because they finally quote unquote listened to fans. I'm like that is awesome and great and you know needs to be talked about because you know a lot of us are just like excuse me you need to do this and this and this and that is fine because my deal with Destiny is that they had just released this expansion pack and I think this expansion pack that they just released in May is going to be the last one for year one and it seems like they're going to do gradual changes to lead up to year two but at the same time it's like I wish you had start to do this control ahead of time Mm -hmm. before it got to E3 to try and push this new product out because practically you're buying a new game when you go into this new subscription service that they were talking about. I'm kind of tired of that too and Destiny I feel like it's too little too late like fans have been telling them what they wanted they've been fucking up on every level so that's right uh, i have my 
right <laughs> my little soapbox to get on about that but it's just like yeah i think i'm just tired of this pre-e3 hype culture that's been created and it creates a lot of unnecessary anticipation for stuff that they won't deliver on and so right now i'm at the point i'm like show me the receipts when i see yeah. it at a3 and then i see it released then that's when i'll get excited but get until judged then, about yeah yeah i'm just kind of over it just feel very jaded and especially now that i'm on my no pre-order policy <laughs> anymore right. there's no reason for me to pre-order shit so it's up to the developers now to do what you need to do but i'm not in this at all so well because now it should be of the mind of show me what you are made of and especially since like as we have known in the past like just because you are a big juggernaut development company does not make you the greatest a lot of indie games are starting to show up these developers on how to do things at this rate i think people need to talk more about holding back and reserving until they see the product and then going forward from there i guess we'll see what e3 and what it presents but it's like i will put my pessimistic self in the corner and watch it from there i'm just taking things now just one release at a time i know there are some games for sure that i want to see and have but you know it's just one at a time so i'll get it eventually i guess in other news we also had a talk about kind of in line with the whole thing with gaming and the gaming industry Yves Gimmel from ubisoft talking about streaming in the future i guess tiff you want to elaborate on that a little bit um essentially he's hinting at by the end of the next generation of consoles that will be dependent on streaming for our gaming i see the value that he's putting forth but i don't think it's going to be that soon because a lot of it he's saying that practically we won't be so dependent on actual having hardware games or consoles here. That's not necessarily true because like not everybody's internet is strong enough to hold the capacity of gaming let alone streaming a movie and downloading especially if you have multiple people in your house. That is not going to be a goal within like 5 to 10 years. That's going to probably take like a 20 year thing to get anyone's internet at all fast enough to do that stuff and especially since like the more graphically advanced games become the more that's going to buy up. So I don't think that we are at that point yet. In the future, sure, I think that's like a possibility, but I don't foresee that doing that end of next generation because there's already like a lot of people who are already starting to stream and get subscription services, but that's not a guarantee for all of us to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep, because internet accessibility is also a factor and yep. it, it, that's a huge deal, especially if developers want to make any money. So I can see games going more digital to the point where we no longer or have physical hard copies of games. Understandable. But consoles themselves, I feel like that's kind of a long, long way off. I don't know. But I was just like, you know, that's what y'all want so y'all can make more money. And what we're fearing is going to be kind of like the subscription services now or the streaming services that you get now mm-hmm. is that sure, you have access to this now, but we can probably take it off at any time. You probably, like, anytime. yeah, mm-hmm. anytime. Like, this is not technically your game. You're borrowing this. So, as much as you love this game, is not going to be physically yours to have. That's what I'm feeling like that's going to go to that. So anything that you might buy for us will be in vain. Especially like any kind of additional DLC or loot box or something like that that you seek into the game is kind of going to go away if they decide to take this game off ever. And of course like that's speculation. There's no telling what they might do but you know a lot of companies might do that anyway. Like I see the point and value of that because you know a lot of that can save on space and rooms the more technologically advanced we go and of course like the bigger our hard drives and external hard drives become to 
hold all of that stuff, but I don't think it's going to happen in the immediate future, like in five years. It's going to take a while because like I was telling me offhand, like it took us this long to get away from fucking dial-up. And people still have dial-up. That's what cracks me up. When it's still an option, we're not there yet. This is going to take years in order for us to get this far. If they were to switch it completely over to streaming, you will lose quite a bit of customers right now. Um, And especially like a lot of the people that they might want to reach out there. It's probably younger generation people, but by that time that might happen, a lot of that younger generation will have families of their own that have to share, you Mm -hmm. know, internet access. And streaming takes a lot, even when you're hardwired. Like, he has a good point, but I think his timeline is way the fuck off. Yeah. So. And I'm kind of tired of these think pieces from industry professionals that they're really about what what they want and not exactly what people need. And that's two different things. So it's just like, yeah, you want this for your own selfish reasons, but exactly what good is this for us as gamers? So, so yeah. <laughs> so I guess another news, Sims 4, last time we talked, we talked about Sims 4 releasing seasons and we've been getting more and more updates about the game since. So it's going to be coming out June 22nd. So just days away. Ah. Mm. Um, but wonderful thing is they're adding new features. So the traditional stuff like snowball fights, water balloon fights, roller skating, ice skating, those things are coming back from previous games. But now there's an indoor thermostat that you can control in your household, which is really nice. You have a family household calendar and you can actually customize it where you can add custom holidays, custom events, and you can sort of dictate what you do, kind of like with the clubs from get together. You can, there's something on there about streaking and other things. So always possibilities are endless for this. And this is one of my favorite features from get together is you can customize what activities your club members do. So yay, Um, you didn't have different holidays. There's a gardening career. So you'll see the beekeeper come back. There's the weather control mod. And one of the videos actually showed a sim getting struck by lightning and they channeled the lightning and did the little Kamehameha or whatever from Dragon Ball Z. It looked like, was it Zuko from Avatar redirecting lightning back? I was like, that's some bullshit. So I was like, I would love to have like one that just like super superheroes or superpowers. That would have been cool. Mm -hmm. Like this is probably the first expansion that I've been legitimately excited about in a long, long time. So I'm stoked. Yeah, it's gonna be great. So, I mean, I've been following uh, Sim Guru Grant on Twitter and he's been getting updates and kind of like telling us some news but not telling us things and yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with this. So, yeah! And last but not least, on Twitter we participated on, I think, May 31st. There was this Twitter thread going on about Black Girls Are the Game and it was just a, a nice little night where we could get together with other Black female gamers in the community and talk about our experiences being black women and in gaming spaces and what are the different things that we deal with specifically. So we talked about the toxic culture that's not very nice to people who are women or people of color in which we're both. And so that presents a certain set of challenges, the amount of visibility that we have in the community and our voice in, in different gaming spaces, especially when we're interacting with the gaming industry giants that we don't have that representation. We don't really have that voice on that same level. Um, right. In certain spaces we do, like uh, X Mirror Mira is doing some big things within the simming community, and I'm so proud of her because she's just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
she's just doing amazing stuff. But it's like we need more of that input and more of that representation there. So that way it's like, hey, this is how you actually design black people. This is how you do lighting when exactly. you have black people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> things that they don't think about. So it was just a nice night for us to just kind of like, this is the stuff that we deal with. And we talk about the things that we learned. And it's just such a wonderful, supportive community. A lot of us are into anime and gaming and movies and television. So we were able to share a lot of different things that we have in common. And mm-hmm. we made some really good friends. So check out if you are interested in joining us. I don't know when we're doing our next meetup or whatever, but the hashtag is BGATG, Black Girls Are the Game, on Twitter. And you can get into the conversation if you're a Black content creator, Black gamer, and you're a woman, you're more than welcome to join us. We have a lot to talk about and it's just very supportive. So we were just gassing each other up the whole night. So it was wonderful. All right. So I think that's all we have for news. That was a lot. Tiff, are you ready to level up? Yes, sir, to you. Woo! Let's level up! <laughs> so, for today's tandem topic tea time, we are discussing our favorite senior citizens in video games. And not all of them are seniors, but um, we wanted or to... Or have the appearance of seniors. Have the appearance of seniors, but we did want to give a shout out to some more of our senior members in video games, because I feel like they don't really get enough shine. Yeah, a lot of them take on mentor roles or whatnot. So, Tiffy, you want to get us started? Overwatch. And of course, we have a ton of old school veterans that are coming back. And one of the favorites, of course, Soldier 76. Soldier 76 is the former strike commander, Jack Morrison, before the fall of Overwatch. And this man is now known as Soldier 76, who is pretty much an ass-kicking vigilante. And he's pretty much wanting to serve just as ice cold to those who brought down the organization and, you know, <clears throat> like Reaper, <clears throat> to name a few, and um, practically just get vengeance that way. But, you know, he's pretty much come back from the dead to pretty much redeem not only himself, but also to fight for what he believes in. He does not believe in just because he's gotten older in age that the fight off. Another one kind of like that is Reinhardt. Yeah. Oh, Reinhardt. He's just an old soldier that just believes in chivalry and valor and continue to fight for justice even though Brigitte had told him about wanting to put it down. He's just like, no, I can't because, you know, there's just too much work to be done. So he doesn't feel like he needs to stop until he completes that work. Just keep on fighting until nothing is left in him despite his bias and like, and we need to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you stop? Can we have a massage this weekend, please? Your, your muscles are protesting. Another awesome lady is Anna. Anna is awesomely skilled at sniping and healing. Like, even when she was up to her 50s, apparently she was still doing missions and trying to rescue hostages from Talon and constantly giving support that and helping healing people along the way. But, like, after she had that incident with Widowmaker taking her eye out. She practically goes into hiding so she becomes dead for a time but she decides to stop fighting and just to keep on going and fighting because the fight's not done like a lot of these soldiers are. Torbjorn is kind of the same way. He was one of the Ironclad Guild's top engineers and he came to help Overwatch because he's such a top-notch developer on his own and he helped him through the Omni Crisis and in the snippet regarding Bastion that he has a heart seeing how this particular bastion had changed and was now peaceful and was willing to help build dams for the beavers and stuff like that and go into hiding but that he then has a change of heart regarding Omnix especially for Bastion he becomes like a little bit of a protector of him and so kind of like he's grandfatherly all the way around mm-hmm. now for Reaper Reaper's like the poster
sister of middle child syndrome. After the fallout and um, and practically like signaling the end of Overwatch, he pretty much goes and gets help from Moira that helps develop him into what we see now, this wraith-like creature with emo complex. With the genetic makeup, it kind of helps him be a little bit more spry and stuff. I'm not sure for the better. Instead of retirement, wanting to just sell into the sunset, no, I'm going to go and recap it and try to take revenge on all the people who did me wrong. So sad. Mm-hmm. There's not really much to say. He's just a bear bitch that's sad about everything in life. So, uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what do you have? I had The Sims. Mortimer Goth is the poster child for The Sims and cranky men and stuff like that. Cranky old men. But I felt kind of bad for Mortimer because really, at the end of the day, all he wanted to do was just live in retirement, be happy. You know, he lost his wife, Bella, at a, a very young age. And so he was never really able to get over that for a while. So he's at this point in his life, he's just wanting to be happy, kind of figure out what his kids are doing. And, and just he wanted to just grow old with his wife. But, you know, Bella ends up missing. And mm-hmm. so there's never really an answer for how she disappeared or why. And unfortunately, he gets involved with the Caliente sisters. And I ain't saying she's a gold digger. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess depending on what your actions are when you play with him, his life can end up very happy and he gets out of that or he can end up in um, a terrible, terrible end, losing his money and all that and his life, depending on how you play and how sadistic you are. But I liked him a lot because for the most part, he was a pretty chill guy and he just wanted yeah. to be happy. Bella was the love of his life. So for him to have to go through all that and not get any answers on how she disappeared and just like, right. okay, finally accept that. I just kind of felt bad for him. Just poor thing. Well, that's, that's <laughs> like, you know, his family, you've seen different iterations of him from Sims 1. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's practically all he wants to do is just like, he wants to make sure like Cassandra and Alexander are good and taken care of, especially her decision on who she wants to marry and you know his wife disappears like i can understand if he had like shit building his attic of charts and charts of what could have happened to bella no he's trying to get on with dina so Zena wants that paycheck that payout yeah and stuff so you know it's sad that that's where his life comes about he'll been just perfectly content just dying and if bella was still there and you know them them like aging and dying happily ever after like the adams family uh, relationship goals yeah and then mrs crumplebottom from sims 2 nightlife and <laughs> if you've ever played this game you've been on a date in public she will come out of the woodwork and beat the hell out of you and your date with her little purse, her little purse. Yeah. and she just she just she doesn't like anything that's improper so she's one of those old school prim and proper ladies she's very strict and she's not afraid to just whoop your ass in public oh like, what like, the hell? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, like, even feels even to that point, if you were eye-sexing your date, she would come out the woodwork and beat the fuck out of you with that damn purse. And she has shit in it, like, she has knitting needles and shit that she would just take out and start knitting. So I'm like, you could get seriously maimed by whatever she has in that damn purse. Yeah, so she's like the crabby, mean old lady that just gets in everybody's business and it's like, ugh, go away. When you get to play Sims 3, I believe, you get to see a younger version of her when she was still married and everything Uh -uh. two different people yeah like they're distant relatives apparently but there's two different mrs crumple bombs the the one that you see agnes is the one from sims one hot date those are the same but this mrs crumple bomb two different people yeah yeah i looked it up someone had said that yeah i'm like how the fuck y'all get the same outfit and look exactly the same Mm, yeah i don't like that that must have been a mess up on their thing or whatever sims is not really consistent all the way through you even see that with the golf family and the newbie family 
families in comparison to how they were back in Sims 1. So, yeah, there's timelines are not consistent mm. in Sims. And this was in the fandom wiki. Miss yeah, Kawabatam is a fucking liar. But yeah, it's, she's just one of those ladies that's just like, I'm not here for bullshit. But she likes to bowl and she likes to knit. So she does like some things. It's just she does not I, like public displays of affection. With the bowling aspect, I would love her to be with Roman and just beat the fuck out of him anytime he talks about. Oh my God. Mrs. Smoker Bottom, let's go bowling. And when she's bowling, and as long as you're in the bowling alley with her, once she bowls, she doesn't stop. So you can go yeah. and get your groove on somewhere else. She won't stop mid-bowl. Because so, no. she's like, I have to get my 300. Because I've, so, I've seen so. her in the game. I've seen her. Like, once she gets to bowling, she's fine. But if she's just anywhere else, she's... Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh, Mrs. Crumple Bottom. Just, uh, she's trying to make sure you don't have no babies. So if you have teenage Sims, at least you know Mrs. Crumple Bottom's on the case. I yeah. would love to have seen her being the nanny, that random person just come to your house, take care of your kids, and you're up to try and like, make another kid. And she, she comes with her Victorian values beating you in the purse. Like, this is our house. Like, yeah. seriously, lady. But uh, who else did you have, Tiff? I had Victor Sully Sullivan from Uncharted. I mean, he is the epitome of cool Silver Fox. To me, he reminds me of the Dulce Keys guy. <laughs> Just that suave dude that has done practically everything in life and has yet to, like, lose a cigar out of his freaking face. I mean, it's great. That's who he kind of reminds me of. Just that smooth person. And he, of course, has been in Nathan Drake's life for a while. Practically, he sees him as a mentor and father figure. And, of course, he is also a treasure hunter connoisseur. He can tell take quite a bit of a lot because a lot of times whatever drama or something that Nate gets in, especially in Uncharted 1 and 3, that beside him, you know, either getting hit or hurt or having to climb on stuff that he shouldn't have. I'm like, Sully is up there getting it, but I'm like, you will do anything you need to in order to survive. So, yeah. but yeah, like, Sully is like that cool-ass uncle that you just want him to regale you with stories, even though you know half the other time is bullshit, but it's still cool to listen to. <laughs> 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 That's what Sully reminds me of. I, I love me some Sully. Oh. Sully. What you got? Y'all, it's Mass Effect time. I don't know what y'all are expecting. It's but Mass Effect time. Mass Effect time. <laughs> I don't get to morph and shit, but you know, that'd be cool. The first person I had was Matriarch Benezia, and even though she was one of the villains in the first game, she's actually Liara's mother, and she's one of the most revered matriarchs in the entire Asari community, and so she's very well respected. She used to teach religion and philosophy, and she actually became a villain only because she became indoctrinated. She was trying to dissuade Saren from moving forward with those plans. And so she was going to try to do the diplomatic thing and be like, hey, don't do that. Let's find another course of action. There's a way that we could probably avert this thing. But she became indoctrinated or enslaved uh, from Sovereign's influence. So that actually turned her into a villain and accomplice into what was going on in the trilogy, at least in the first game. And it's unfortunate because I felt like she deserved better in terms of her character arc and her clothing, especially I was like, um, tits out for Sovereign. That's what we're doing this week. But, you know, mm. whatever. But yeah, a really awesome person. And it seemed like she was a very caring mother. And she encouraged Liara, even though Liara was interested in learning about the Protheans. And that had some conflicts of interest in a way in terms of the Asari history and all that. And you find out some things related to the Protheans. But she was a very caring mother and very diplomatic and well-respected and stuff. So it was a shame that she ended up having to die. Another one I had was Rex. Oh, 
I love Rex. Oh, Rex. He's that old, grizzled war veteran. He's been around the block for a minute, but he's one of the last Krogan Battlemasters that is left that has biotic capabilities. And honestly, he has one of the best story arcs in the whole trilogy because he's been around since the beginning with the Rachni Wars and he still remembers all that stuff. And he wants to create a better society for his people. And the genophage and dealing with the consequences of that, a lot of it's viewed through his eyes. And it's like, yeah, we fucked up. We deserve to be punished for what we did, but not like this. But he's a a fearless badass and he tries to make up for the mistakes of his people, especially if you manage to save him in the first game and continue on through the trilogy, you have opportunities to help his people and he can transform them into something better than what they were and preventing them from repeating history over and over again. So it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're, you're the shit. I also had to list Admiral Hackett, who is... At the start of the trilogy, the commander of the whole fifth fleet, and he actually survived the first contact war. And by the end of the whole trilogy, he becomes the leader of the entire Alliance military. And he ends up having to make several controversial calls that impact the war and everything. And But he's also responsible for helping getting Shepard recommended to the Spectre program in the first place. And what I like about him, he's kind of like this grandfather figure. He's just always cool and calm under pressure, no matter what the situation is. And while playing through the game, he'll send you specialized alliance missions for you to do, whether it's, oh, we got this weird signal. Can you go check this out? We have this wild biotic running around. Can you go take them out or whatever? Do what you need to do. And he does give you options of like, okay, if you do it this way, that would be the best option, letting you know that <laughs> it would be in your best interest if you don't you don't kill ha- him. You don't have to, but yeah, yeah. like we would prefer that he was alive for reasons, but if you end up having to kill him, I'm not happy about it, but... But understand. Yeah, and so he understands that you're not always going to be able to do exactly what you wanted to do, but he trusts Shepard's judgment, and he's probably one of the only consistent characters throughout the trilogy that still believes in Shepard, regardless of what path that they take. He's not always going to agree with your decisions, but he's not going to just abandon you like some of the other people did. So mm. shout out to him. He's awesome. Another one, Matriarch Athena, he is actually... Actually, Benezia's soulmate and Liara's father. And what I love about her, she's this no-nonsense smartass in Mass Effect 2. And so she runs a bar on Ilium and Conrad Werner, God, Conrad, one of the, the side missions on Mass Effect 2 involves dealing with her at the bar. And she's just hilarious. She has this very dry, sarcastic wit and she likes fighting over talking about philosophy. And then you find out about her parents and what happened. And yeah, she's kind of a badass and it's fun just to talk to her and you make some really interesting drinks <laughs> that will get you wasted but I like that a different side of what we see of Asari where it's all oh they're either motherly and you know I'll have all this wisdom and all this other stuff or they're partying in the streets as strippers and all this other stuff the Asari are a little bit more well-rounded when you, mm-hmm. you see them over the course of the trilogy so there's that and lastly, Zaid Masani. He's from Aspect 2, and he's one of the optional characters that you can add through DLC. And I have a conversation about that, but that's not this topic. But I like it, Kim, because he's a mercenary bounty hunter, and he's one of the former leaders of the Blue Suns. And at the time, his leadership with the Blue Suns was a little bit, I don't want to say it's completely noble, but it didn't extend to what they are now, which he basically labels them as terrorists. And so Damn. part of his whole story arc is getting revenge on the person 
person that turned on him in the beginning, but also trying to quell a lot of the shit that's going on with the Blue Suns because they're causing a lot of shit as well. So, mm. um, but what I like about him, he is older and much more grizzled and he's been through some shit and he will tell you stories. It's like, yay, story time. But his attitude and sort of single-mindedness on fulfilling his loyalty mission make him, on the surface, it makes him appear a little bit ruthless and even reckless, but he has his abilities to sort of counteract that and you realize this thing is so personal for him. He's willing to sacrifice innocent people and fuck up everything just to take out his revenge and get things right. But he's invaluable on the battlefield, especially against Krogan and Varen. And so I love having him on my squad because number one, the stories, but he (laughs) is a badass. Like he can do so much stuff. So he's awesome. And I did have other ones, but I've talked about them before, like Dr. Chakwas and and Anderson and all them. So yay. Lots of of really cool people. So shout out to them though. Yeah. What else did you have, Tiff? Um, I had a few people from Street Fighter. One, I wanted to like highlight Jin. Jin, he is not here for your shit. <laughs> Never was. <laughs> but Jin is a skilled martial arts master and also a former legendary assassin. And he is pretty much hardened from his life of being said assassins. And he likes to talk about death. He's already an older character. And so he's already reflective on his life, dealing out death and also like coming to grips with his own coming down the pike. But he's one of the ones that if he was to die, he rather die honorable and fighting speaking of honorable he also is of the mind of not wanting to use his skill against people who cannot fight or the defenseless people Mm. so he won't just strike out unless the opponent is worthy he would rather fight against higher level to challenge him a little bit and he also like to give props and respect to those wanting to immerse themselves in the style of fighting he also had trained chun li when she was a little girl because he was good friends with her father so they have that common bond there I love Jin that he's like, I am a wizened old warrior. I'm stuck in my ways. I have seen and dealt out a lot of death, but at the same time, I will give you props if you want to try, but I am not here for any of your shit. Damn you, Dan. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. Also, I had to give props to Goken. Of course, Goken is the older brother of Akuma, and he was the mentor of both Ryu and Ken. Goken pretty much comes off as being stern because, you know, he is a wizened old master, but he also is is very good hearted. And of course you see that with the yin and yang between him and Akuma. Practically with Goken, he practices the art of Zen and his approach to a lot of things and how he deals with things especially with his Akuma. He kind of shies away and admonishes people who uses their dark powers. With Bison with his Psycho Crusher ability, he despises the fact that he did that and also despises Akuma for not only for his dark arts but also for killing their mentor as a result of that. So he shies away from that and he also makes sure that evil Ryu does not stay along very long. He makes sure that Ryu stays on the path where he can be powerful but not to be powerful in dark art. Speaking of Akuma <laughs> Akuma of course younger brother of Goken and he is distant but strong. Practically he is one of the ones just dedicating himself to the craft of fighting and to become the most powerful warrior in the world. He is just for that life of going against worthy and strong opponents like Ryu and Jin and but he especially wants to go after opponents that are able to defeat or to kill him. Perfecting the art of Satsu no Hado, which is the search of murder's intent. Hmm. <laughs> I know, I'm like, if he wants to kill a motherfucker, he will. Kind of like what he did with his master. It pretty much, with that dark power, of course, it comes with a price and that's practically taking over his mind and of course his body to where he now looks like a freaking demon and has like demon-like qualities. He hates Goken for the simple fact that he not only 
willingly does not embrace that power himself of wanting to become the best warrior that he is, but he prevented Ryu from reaching that same potential. Gogan does not want Ryu, who he's raised like his own son, to go down the path that his brother has. Mm. So, but apparently Akuma is okay with Elena taking selfies with him, so who's to say? (laughs) (laughs) There's proof in the pudding. Also, finally, there's this guy named Oro. He is a 140-year-old Japanese hermit that happens to live in Brazil, I believe, and he has the secret to immortality. This dude is buff as fuck for someone being 140 years old. If only I can reach that when I even get to 40 years old. He's eccentric and he's creepy. I can deal with eccentricness, but when you're creepy, that's when I, no, we can't have that. Thinking that, I forget who I asked him about like helping her with perfecting skills, but he thought she was asking him out for a date. It's like, uh, no. Hard swerve on that one. But pretty much he is kind of like Jin in the way that he lives for a good challenge of wanting to have a good fight with someone that is worthy on his level. But he hates boredom and he hates fighting against people who are not as skilled as he is. But yeah, he, apart from like long walks on beaches, I'm sure, he likes going to theaters and guiding people through the Amazon. Hmm, that's cool. What you got? Oh, God. I had to put Dragon Age Origins because they did have quite a few older characters in that that I'm like, yeah, y'all are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the first it one still I- holds your shit, too. Exactly. So I had to put Duncan first because he's the oh, leader, leader of the Wardens. And yeah, he's a person that is involved in recruiting your main character into the Wardens and doing that whole process. On one level, I can see where a lot of people don't really like him because he's basically conscripting people into the Wardens and... And it's either a life or death situation if you survive. And so you have a 50-50 chance of not making it through the warden process. But right. his overall motivation is fueled by the fact that the blight is here. Darkspawn are approaching. I have to figure out how to save the world. And so sometimes that overrides his capacity to be empathetic or compassionate or even have patience for people who are cowardly. And so when you go through the first initial trials and that one person dies because Duncan had to kill him because he's like look I don't need punk bitches like we exactly we have things to do so I feel like he can be very caring and the way that he interacts with you is a very fatherly figure sort of thing and he's had some knowledge and experience he used to be a thief himself to keep himself alive and those traits helped him not only become a warden himself but I feel like he's been able to survive this long doing what he does so obviously something's working but you know at the same time his bigger issue is we have to see the big picture and that saving the world and so it's like yes he saves the warden or depending on what path you take you can be actually conscripted into becoming part of the wardens because either you're about to die or you have no other choice it's like oh you're coming with me and so it's like a last saving grace until you might die he does save several other people from possibly being executed through other things that they've done different crimes Mm -hmm. or whatnot so the wardens are kind of a last ditch effort to be like okay well maybe you can be useful in this capacity because he knows how that feels he's actually walked that walk and that happened to him so i i do think that he tries to do what's better for everybody it's just that in terms of a day-to-day interaction sort of thing an interpersonal thing he's like look I don't give a fuck about you. I care about saving the world. So that's pretty that. much. If you're that, not, <laughs> if you're not in line, then you're you're on to get the fuck out. Pretty much. So. Well, we don't have time for this bullshit. So moving on. Next one up <laughs> is Win, and of course I've talked about her at length. She's like the best mage ever and the best motherly figure ever. And I like that the developers put her in because it reminds you that age is really only a number, but it doesn't get in the way of her ability to be a badass. So she provides some invaluable skill sets to your team and healing and even though the warden can make very 
ageist, inappropriate comments and other people do. She's like, I'm not afraid of cutting a bitch. Try me. She'll do it the nicest way possible, but she also can hold her own in battle. I don't ever have to worry about when it's mm-hmm. her having to worry about us running full force into Darkspawn and getting into trouble. So I appreciate her for doing what she does. And she's kind of at her last bits of moments in life. And so she's very much at peace with who she is and what she's done. So another one, Shale. I love Shale so much. <laughs> you can actually acquire her as a member through playing one of the DLC. And I think she comes free with the Origins DLC if you get that. So, but yeah, she's sassy. She's one of the, the golems that's sentient. So if you play through her storyline, you can figure out how she came to be. But I love her because she is a sassy little badass. And even when she was deactivated and she was still aware of her surroundings and what was happening with the world and she is always ready for a fight. She's ready to just cut a bitch. But even more cutting are her remarks that she makes and she always has like these little snarky one-liners. I'm, I love you so much. Can you please be my friend? Her personality and it brings a certain level of humor to the team that I feel like is greatly needed because you have other people like Stan, for example, who is on the other end. He's more stoic and he's been in battle. He's a Kanari warrior so he's kind of seen everything. He's been through quite a lot of shit and the warden gets the opportunity to save him if he wants to. He doesn't speak a lot. He doesn't speak often and a lot of the times he can sound very cruel but it's kind of like with Duncan. It's just like, look, I have a mission. got shit to do. I don't have time for foolishness but he does have that softer side to him and so I found out it's paintings that like those are the gifts that he likes and I'm like, Uh. I tried everything and I just, yeah, you were gonna love me Stan. God damn it. (laughs) He's really awesome. Once you get underneath the very stoic exterior, there's a little bit of a softer side there and he does have an affinity for your dog so it's like okay everybody loves dogs it's yeah so yeah I I was just like I want to do another playthrough but damn it Stan you will love me or so help me God I will cut you so yeah he's awesome she will cut with love Mm -hmm. last but not least we have sleeping dogs we got a couple peeps from there too Mm -hmm. we have broken nose Zhang which is from the Sun Anyi red pole um, who eventually becomes the dragon head of the Sun Anyi she's extremely cunning and resourceful she is strong but it seems like she's also the only female in the entire triad organization so she already has the skills to, to go the distance when she needs to and we also have Uncle Poe oh, Uncle Poe he is also the dragon head of the Sonya Yi until he eventually dies for nefarious reasons and the Uncle Poe was like in cohorts with the police to pretty much knock off a lot of his rivals so he didn't have anybody to contend with and practically he was given immunity eventually he was able to show a little bit more mercy in life and he forgave Wei and Winston um, with their activities in the gangs. He already kind of was taking a liking to Wei immediately, grandpaing him and having long talks with him to where Wei really respected him as an individual and a person that you see the reason why he became the leader of the Sunanyi. Uncle Po had the reputation that allowed him to stay as the chairman for 30 years. He knew how to ruthlessly deal with his enemies, but he was very strategic in his way so you can see why he was on top of the leaderboard for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So my respects to Uncle Po and good old Mrs. Chew. Oh, Chew. Yes. Mrs. Chew. Um, 
She, like Jin, is also not here for your shit. Mad respect. She is the fierce mother of Winston. Loves her son with all her heart. She is very nice and is willing to, like, serve you, make sure you're well-fed. If you are not a part of the immediate family or a part of the game that she knows, she'll either see you as a tool that can be used or someone to avoid or complete enemies. Mm -hmm. But, of course, unfortunately, a lot of the insurrection came from the inside. And she has allowed Winston and all his associates just to pretty much come to her kitchen to plot and plan whatever they need to for the gangs until Winston and Peggy got murdered at their wedding. She pretty much will carve up two bitches in order to get her revenge. She is ruthless when it comes to protecting or getting revenge for whoever tries to stomp on her family. She is not for that life. So she will take this meat cleaver to the face. I'm more afraid of her than Winston. I'm sorry. Yeah, Miss Chu, she's a mama bear. Like, oh, the, she the epitome of that. I was like, I'm not fucking with you. So I think that's all we have for right now for the Tandem Topic Tea Time. So Tiff, are you ready to move on to the wheel of random tandem? Do you want the medal? <laughs> Let's spin it! So for today's wheel of random tandem, Tiff, which old soul would you like to hang out with for the day? I chose two. I couldn't choose between the two. We didn't mention them up top because this was only dealt with really in the last game mm-hmm. for them. And wanted to like chill with like old Ezio or Altair. Ezio really just for the adventures in his life and all that he's done. I can kind of skip over his exploits. But we grew with Ezio from birth to death. And so it was just to get his life story and hear him you know, reiterate it in life lessons that would be cool just to sit there by the fireside and hear him talk about all that um as for Altair you know Altair lived to be like 92 so he had like a lot of mileage behind him and especially when it came to him doing his codex he had learned so much along the way that he was able to pass down that affected future generations on changing the game just to get that knowledge and aspect to him firsthand you know in the first game Altair was very arrogant I'm about to push you off this damn tower shut your face but you can see him slowly like evolving and getting it to where he becomes very much full of humility by then and and calming down and actually becoming the potential assassin he should be so i was like i would like to see just to get that direction of how he decided to just melt down in life and selling with maria and his boys and the death after maria just to get that toe to me in a bridge form would be awesome so mm-hmm. vast history i love it Um, Why did I just act like I was 14 there? I'm so sorry. I went through puberty again. Okay. Okay, what, What about you? Um, I was going to say Mrs. Crumplebottom, but um, seeing okay, as bitch. how she has a double, I, I have to say... It's ma- not her fault. It's the <sighs> developer. Yeah. they. Which one up. would you choose? Would you choose Agnes or the random relative? I would choose the one that was in Sims 3. So, okay. yeah, because she seems so happy and just kind of chill. And it was, I think, before she was about to age into an elder. So it was yeah. just interesting to see that. But I think I would love to hang out with Matriarch Benezia now that I think about it just because yeah. she was a villain for most of the first game. But I really love the Asari as a whole. I just think that their whole culture is cool and the way that they've created their own society and how they've influenced intergalactic law and the Citadel and the 
culture and everything. I just think that's amazing. Of course, you find out part of that is from Prothean technology and how they kind of have that secret. Yeah, right. But I do think that the Asari and the way that they live and their whole philosophy as a whole is something that's just very cool and very unique. And it would be cool to just hang with her for the day and learn more about Asari culture and how is it being in this society and how the other species see them and how they internalize that and what does that do for them and their life stages and stuff. Because Liara was cool, but she came on way too strong for me. And I'm like, I'm going to go away because I literally just saved you and you're already trying to sit on my face. Damn near about to like crawl on that desk like, hey, commander. Yeah. Like, uh, no, like, no, I would have been, been fine, but uh, you need to calm down. Like, I, we yeah. just met. Okay, can we build this up? You are in heat. Calm down. I'm surprised since you entered the door, she did not just leap on you immediately. It's like, um, <laughs> nice to meet you too. Um, <laughs> it's like, um, can we have dinner first? Yeah. Like, before you start leaping on me, can we talk about these things? We have to the Citadel anyway. Can we like at yeah. least get to know each other, go on a yeah. date or something before you just tits out? Like, okay. <laughs> Would have loved to hang out with Menazia and I feel like it would have given her story arc a little bit better. Can we figure out the costume thing and not having your tits out? But that's a developer thing. That's mm-hmm. not her. So. so yeah, Tiff, do we have any final thoughts? That socials of the Twitter, the Facebooks, the YouTube, the Twitch, and the Tumblr. Mm-hmm. All that's accessible. So please go and follow us on any of those items. It looks like we do have quite a few new followers. Yeah, so a lot of these came from the Black Girls Are the Game meetup chat that we did. So shout out to Kashana Gray, Nerd Briefing, Zet16, Urban Chica, XOXO, Dan, Danijo, Die Blooming Kind, Gamer Chick Gwen, Asia, Anime Sia. I'm so sorry, I'm butchering these names. Leash Capiche, Brown Girl Gamer. I love that. <laughs> Wavy Yandere, Empress Emi, and Tay HZ. Welcome. Thank you guys for following us. And we had such a great time talking to y'all. Y'all are cool people. So mm-hmm. yay. Tiff, do we have any commenters? Oh, we have quite a few. We have at motherfucking Luna. Yes. Ooh. At Joey Wolfie24. At Yanam Chun. At Kashona Gray. At Tuyash. Hi. At Leash Capiche. And at Catastronauts. Thank you guys for commenting on all the stuff. Woohoo. And as for special shout outs, we had to give one to Riff Raff DC because they found out about our episode. He's like, wow, I didn't even do those anymore, but that's so cool. So, Tiff, for what do you have for your podcast, YouTube? All that stuff. I chose the history behind the warrior this channel is a person that gives little bios about different characters in street fighter moral combat i think tekken also as well but mostly like a verse history and i think it's mostly just bios that just relate to around the games not necessarily anything that has to do with like animated movies or the animated tv shows i think it's just consistent just around what bios are given around the game especially in street fighter 4 and i think in 5 that you get little cutscenes to learn more about these characters 30 years ago you didn't really have that when Street Fighter first came out. He gives bios for if you ever want to brush up on what all these people are and what they constitute because there is more story behind them. So what about you? Um, I had only Abby Dong. (laughs) He's funny because he does these sim logic videos where he makes these little smart assy videos about uh, the Sims games and some of the logic that the characters have when they're doing certain things. Like one of them was a Sim was drowning and there was another Sim right next to him in the pool. And instead of the other Sim freaking out or at least trying to save them, they were just kind of swimming, just la 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 la. Damn. <laughs> just- 
And I think they were in the same family. And he was like, well, you know what? I won't save them. Let me just get out on the side of the pool and just start panicking instead of just saving them. And just like little things that the game's code does that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, like um, you know how in Sims 3 Generations, kids could get grounded for skipping school, but they yeah. needed to go to school. Otherwise, their grades would diminish. And so if like a kid was one minute past nine getting to the bus, they wouldn't get on the school bus because their parents would come Carol out there come and yell at and them. yell at them. And so it kind of calls out those little things. And it's just so funny because you just never realize how much silliness and lack of logic. I think Sims 4 has gotten a lot better about this. But yeah, do some stuff. But he's really funny. Go check out his videos. So I guess for events, we have several things coming up. Mm. Our next one is ArlingCon, June 30th in Arlington, Texas at UTA. So we'll be out there doing a panel for that. Mm. Let's play Gaming Expo, July 27th through the 29th in Irving, Texas. Infinicon, August 3rd through the 5th in Addison, Texas. And hopefully they'll have that information up pretty soon. I've been checking mm. the website. QuakeCon, August 9th through the 12th in Grapevine, Texas. For some reason, mm. as far as right now, they still don't have the registration up. I'm not sure. Which what is weird doing. because usually they have it starting in April, April. so I don't know what yeah. the hole up is now. It's I, been I two know. months. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're tweaking some things, but that was a month ago. So it's like, okay, what's what's happening? But we'll kind of keep a lookout and post announcements once we find out for sure. So definitely check our Twitter. And then lastly, Wizard World Austin, September 21st through the 23rd in Austin, Texas. And we cannot wait. It's going to be fun. But yeah, our, our next episode will be out July 1st. It will be our 56th episode. Oh and my God. One thing that we did not tell you guys as of this release, it'll be our second anniversary. So we're officially two years old. Two years old. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. And so I refuse to do the terrible twos. We're not doing that. Fuck that. I do what I want. Let's- I agree. Yes. I, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. And I agreed, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So until next time, you guys stay safe, stay fantastic, and put on some sunscreen because it's hot as a bitch out here. So, so I mean, it's sad when you melt just walking out to your damn car. Yeah. Welcome to Texas, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. Next time, next time, and 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 next time, and